I, I, I would avoid ketchup at all costs. I mean, we keep it from my daughter, of course. This thing could be your food. Hey, listen, look. Look over here. Look at me. Look at me. My name is Nathan Palin, and I am your host of the weekly podcast, This Band Could Be Your Food, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining in. Hope you've been enjoying the podcast you've been hearing so far. As you probably guessed from the title of the podcast, this week we're going to discuss which band you two may or may not be. Let's say they are. I'm in charge of that now, which is weird. I didn't think that this would be a thing that I would be doing at this stage of my life, but so be it. Here I am. You two is a food, and I welcome you to go on the journey, in my mind, putting facts together, pieces of information, bits of trivia, and what have you, to make a correlation of what food you two might be. Fact one, you two is Irish. Oscar brought that up last week on the police discussion that we had. So that should relieve your head scratching for a little bit. So step one, you want to talk about you two, you got to find a big U2 fan. Those of you who might be friends with me on Facebook probably noticed I put a thing up, said, hey, does anybody like U2? And a lot of people chimed in telling me how much they liked U2. And a bunch of other people chimed in to tell me how much they did not like U2, which came as no surprise to me. I happened to be a subscriber of that camp for a good amount of my life. It started out when I was in high school back in Janesville, Wisconsin. There was a fella in my algebra class who would not shut up about U2. He had a U2 shirt. He went to a concert. He talked about how it changed his life, blah, blah, blah. Uh, This all just annoyed me. You know, I'm a big music fan. Music's very important to me. And you too. I mean, it's it's like it's like if someone was like, "Man, the Beatles are really just the greatest band." I love the Beatles so much. Beatles, you know, it's Beatles, Beatles, you know, that kind of thing. It's like I, I know we all know the Beatles are a great band. We it doesn't need to be discussed anymore. So, like to me, you two is that sort of thing. But I, I'm not saying you two is the Beatles. You two is you two, and they're doing just fine being you two. And I, you know, I've met plenty of reputable people that say very nice things about you two and whatever. Back to this guy. He did go on to like also introduce me to some really great, more obscure bands, which is usually my cup of tea, like the Talking Heads. I mean, not that obscure, but like Brian Eno and Roxy Music and Stereolab, things of this nature. So yeah, you two is just a jumping off point to a lot of cool stuff. So there you go. You two's great. Fine. I said it. Before I get carried away, though, the point I was trying to make is that I needed to find somebody who liked you two, and somebody told me that I should talk to somebody else. And that somebody else is a lady named Serene Leeds. I reached out to Serene, and, and she said, yeah, she's a big fan of you two. When I told her the food that I thought you two was, she said she actually had a really great recipe that she'd like to share with me. So... So she cooked some up, I got in the Volvo, drived out to White Plains, and we had a lovely discussion talking about you two and enjoying some lovely food. So, I present to you the conversation I had with Serene Leeds, all about you two as we discover what food is you two. Enjoy. But you know, you, I hear you know a lot about you too. I do. Yeah. I do. And thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. And <laughs> by the way, inviting me into your home. Oh, and, my pleasure. And cooking for me for the first time. <laughs> I have had to bring the food every time. And uh, when you offered to make today's food, <laughs> I was absolutely enamored <laughs> that I would only have to bring this a couple of microphones. <laughs> it's my pleasure because awesome. cooking is one of my therapies. Mm. I. I love it, especially when I listen to music. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you learn to cook any new dishes while this whole pandemic was happening? That's a great question. Um, I learned how to cook chili. Ooh. Uh, several different versions of chili. Yes. Which we're not eating today. No. But um, I learned how to make uh, turkey chili via Dan Levy from uh, Schitt's Creek. <gasps> yes. Wow. And uh, we'll be veering into the subject a little bit later today of the topic of impossible meat. Mm -hmm. Um, I did learn how to make uh, 
Texas chili uh, via Ladybird Johnson, which is supposed to be with beef, but I made it with Impossible Meat, and it is good. Wow. Yeah. Bono alert. Yeah, we actually did an episode about Texas chili. Uh, number five is ZZ Top. So if you need a quick refresher on making Texas chili, feel free to check out that episode, ZZ Top. Back to the show. Well, yeah. Impossible meat. I mean, that's that's new to the game. Yes. Um, yeah. Which really solves a lot of problems. It does. It um, does. But before we really get into that, <laughs> let's let's dissect you two a little bit so Certainly. that because we're we're dying to tell you what the food is, right? <laughs> so now you two is uh, from Ireland, yes. and it was certainly brought up that it's going to have to be an Irish dish. Yeah. Right. Um, and as you can can sense, we are saying we we are eliminating meat because I feel like that's probably part of the U two ethos. They, is it? I you know that's a really good question. I'm not quite sure, but they look. They're all sixty years old. Yeah. They look fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um. So I would not be surprised. Yes. If they've maybe changed their diet in recent years. Sure. The internet cannot confirm or deny if any of the members are vegetarian, except. Larry Mullins Jr., the drummer. I found a meme that said Bono was vegetarian, but reliable info does not come from memes. Take a note. Carry on. Um, I I would be astonished to find out that any of them have ever had a hot dog in their life. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Like, they're really, you know, as far as their ethos goes and as far as Bono and and being, I mean, it's it's all of them, but Bono always is the the front spokesperson for all the humanitarian acts that they do and the money they contribute around the world. It seems like at some point in time he would have said, you know, I should probably stop eating so much hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at, at this point... You know, as a musician, uh, performing on stage, touring, it's a workout. It is. So you can't be living on red meat or, like you said, hot dogs, french fries yep. all the time. Yep. So uh, I would say going vegetarian would be a smart move. Hey, Paul McCartney did it. Oh, yeah. Mick Jagger did it. <laughs> exactly. Every, all the aging rock stars do it. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> I don't know if you're into sports at all, but no. I just I just discovered that Tom Brady he has a plant based diet. That I have heard, and and not just plant based, but it's almost like he oh, barely is he vegan? eats. He's that I'm not sure, but it sounds like he barely eats anything, which I'm not quite sure how mm. that works. Don't quote me on that because I'm not a sports. I'll expert. tell you what that is. It's no fun. No, no, it's not. It's <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah, it's, it's not at all. Um, so yeah, you two, uh, and like you said. They are at this point in the aging rocker category. They yes. probably won't want to admit to it. Yes. But they are. Yes, they are. So it's going to be a classic dish. Yes. Something that has been served for years and years within the Irish tradition. Yes, indeed. Um, the one angle I didn't take under consideration, and I, I asked Siri this this morning, I said, <laughs> what, what is Ireland's least favorite food? <laughs> because Ireland has a love-hate relationship with you two. As yes. well. Oh, yes. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's too many things that, you know, Ireland is, is not happy with within their entire, you know, culture, except for maybe the South versus the North, um, which is an, another subject that we <laughs> may or may not touch upon today. But um, so it's got to be an Irish dish. Yeah. We're going to have some potatoes. Yes. Um, so we decided for today's dish, it is shepherd's pie. You too is shepherd's pie. Vegetarian style. I learned a lot of things at the carnival while I was standing in line. And my dizzy head is turning everything to cotton. So, can you remember when you first heard you two? No, but. I was a child of the 1980s. Like, like I said, I'm a baby Gen Xer. Sure. So As was I, I, yeah. So I remember. So MTV has always been a part of my life. Yep. So since you two was on MTV from the very start, I've always felt that you two was just always there. Sure. So and for us, they always were. Yes. <laughs> so they were always there. So a song like Pride, I is probably the first song that I remember. So I would say going through the 80s, you two were always there. They were just a part of my life. 
Um, I'll never forget, this had to be 1984, 1985. I was with a babysitter. We were watching MTV. Bono was being interviewed, and she went, Bono! For years, I called him Bono. Bono. Yes. <laughs> um, so I actually did not become a hardcore fan until I was in college. There was, I had a friend who was a hardcore fan, and so he... He encouraged me to start revisiting this band that had just always been a part of my life, but I had never really looked into. Um, So it really wasn't until I would say the mid to later 90s that I became a huge fan, that I started learning all that I could about them, and I became passionate about them. But I certainly remember in the the 80s, I remember Pride, uh, I remember... I remember them performing on Live Aid. Yeah. yeah <laughs> which is, that was which is a huge. huge. And I remember one. the Joshua Tree. Okay. Um, I, you know, I remember the most impactful thing that you two did was Sunday Bloody Sunday. Sure. There's that live video shot from Red Rocks. Yes. And, you know, the look of Red Rocks with all these like really deep crimson, this deep crimson, deep crimson rock yeah. color. Yeah. And Bono coming out, raising the flag, and what are these guys doing? Exactly. Now, I feel like I, I'm with you. I feel like I heard Pride in the Name of Love first, but, you know, as far as, like, MTV goes with us, you know, it was the visual and the music that was happening at the same time. Yes. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it really stuck. And it, to this day, you know, I, I might tell you that my favorite U2 song in the moment is This or That, but... Really, there's never been a moment in my life where I didn't think Sunday Bloody Sunday wasn't just one of the greatest songs ever. Well, you're not alone. Um, I remember shortly after September 11th, um, I don't remember if it was on the radio or I had just queued it up in my, in my car, and I just got so emotional listening to it. Um, you, two, you two helped me through um, 9-11. Yeah. They really, really, really did. Yeah. yeah. It seemed they really did for New Yorkers. They did. They know. did. Yeah. Um, which brings me to one of the interesting things. Uh, I am going to bring up the fact that a lot of people maybe may not, not like U2 so much. U2 was there for a lot of people, but they also became very polarizing for a lot of people, uh, especially during this time. Um, do you remember the Super Bowl that happened after? I do. I do. The band that they chose to be to represent the musical portion of the Super Bowl was U2, right. which they put on a great show and it, it felt really good, but a lot of people were thinking like, why would we have an, why do we have an Irish band representing, you know, this very monumental moment? Um, looking back at it, it makes a little bit of sense because U2 is not Ireland's band. They're the world's band. Correct. So they were there to uh, give solace to all the people that were suffering during this time and with these, you know, incredible acts because it certainly wasn't just obviously a United States thing. Um, but at the time, it was like, that, really? You too? So, I don't know. No, that's, that's a really good point, and that's something that I've been thinking about more recently as I've become more critical. As a fan, I have become more critical of them in recent years. Yeah. Um, I would say during 9-11, I was still in my passionate phase, so I wasn't really keen on any criticism. And sure. so any love that they were able to give to the United States at that time when we were hurting so much because they know how to put on a show. And in many ways, they were doing it better than anyone else because so many Americans and American artists were hurting. Sure. So I did not have a problem with it at the time, but I completely understand uh, in retrospect, like that's how we're going to celebrate our country. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, but that you know that's the that's the number one quality and mm-hmm. of, of many number one qualities, but that you two has is they're really a lightning bolt for emotion. They are, um, you know, they as I said for me, Sunday Bloody Sunday rarely doesn't evoke like some me to be on the verge of tears, <laughs> or <laughs> for another instance. Uh, the Christmas song that Bono sings on, Do They Know It's Christmas? Yes. Every yeah. single year I hear that song, and when Bono says that line, Do them instead of you, I well, cry. It's, <laughs> well, tonight, thank God it's them it. instead of you, which he's actually changed in recent years because, yeah. you know... It is a weird it's, lyric. It's a weird lyric, and... 
I, I think they made, I think the most recent version that was recorded, it was maybe like five or six years ago, it, wa it was changed to, well, tonight we're reaching out and touching you, which I think is better. <laughs> yeah. Not, not by much, but... It's cleaned up. Yes. Um, yeah. That doesn't make me cry as much. I understand. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. Yeah. But, you know, when it you say polarizing, it's um, that lyric, Bono, he's the only one that comes back for all of the re-recordings mm. because he, he believes that that lyric is his, yeah. which it's like, dude, it's, <laughs> it's a charity single lyric. Yes. Like, what are you doing? It's certainly, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's certainly a moment that he owned. Yes. And, you know, I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody else who would have delivered that line at that time. Yeah. The only other one who's delivered a similar line was um, <laughs> the Canadian uh, for <laughs> Africa uh, charity single. Northern with, uh, Lights. Northern Lights. Yep. Getty Lee's. Oh, line. really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I recommend. Uh, <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have to check it out again. Please, please do. I won't, I won't try to replicate, replicate Getty Lee, but yeah. I'll say. Uh, Nobody can. No, and I won't. Listen, make a note. Tears are not enough. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. This is Canada's version of We Are the World. They put a band together called Northern Lights, which is 100% Canadian. And they made a very cheesy attempt to raise money for the Ethiopians, and God bless them for it. But the second you're done listening to this podcast, you need to go onto YouTube and look up the making of Tears Are Not Enough. It is a behind-the-scenes documentary that must have inspired spoof documentaries for years to come. And in fact, there's a lot of members of SCTV that are on this thing. John Candy, Eugene Levy shows up, uh, Catherine O'Hara. But it has quite a cast of folks. You got a guy from Loverboy. You got Neil Young, who famously delivered a line and got yelled at for singing on a tune. And Neil said, well, that's my thing, man. But you had Gordon Lightfoot, Joni Mitchell, Brian Adams... Getty Lee, as, as mentioned. Richard Manuel was there. Richard Manuel from the band, who we're actually talking about next week. Oh, and the guy who apparently wrote the song is David Foster. He enthusiastically volunteered himself to be the Quincy Jones for this Canadian version. God, that guy. Watch his documentary, David Foster. Okay, rant over. Back to the show. But I yeah. will say that... Um for years, Getty would say that he would be mistaken for Bono every now and then. But if you look at Bono now, I think Bono is looking like Getty Lee. In what way? Do they both have mullets? No, but <laughs> Sorry. The, I, I would say the glasses and the, pro, and the facial profile. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say that Bono, I'd heard about this before that he doesn't just shake your hand. Well, this was back when we could shake hands, sure. I, I should say. Yeah. Um, he doesn't just shake your hand. He does hold it. And this is even in the middle of a, uh, a, a crowded room. I was, uh, this was very early on in my career. I was covering, um, he was being honored by the Simon Wiesenthal Center of all places for all his humanitarian work. Mm, this yes. was um, late 2002. And he brought Helena Christensen as his date. And oh, yeah, wow. because... Uh, that's Bono for you. Yeah. And Bono's, Bono uh, can invite anybody he wants exact, to to any event. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. um, I managed to get in front of him and just to tell him, hi, I'm a fan. And, you know, I shook his hand and he held it. He probably didn't hear a word I said because everyone was cramming for a bit of him. Yeah. But uh, we did, I, I did have that moment. And so for any YouTube fan, that's, that's special. That's awesome. And, uh, uh, I did. I I have worked for Rolling Stone, and the Edge did visit the offices once. And uh, as he walked by, I said, "Hi, how you doing?" And he said, "I'm good." Didn't ask me how I was doing. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, yeah. I've held it against the Edge this whole time. No, yeah. no, no, Edge. <laughs> no, you're awesome. Sure. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 got a lot of plates to spin. A lot of things he on does. his mind. He does. He's he a busy does. Guy. He is a busy guy. Yeah, but seems very nice. Yes. Uh, in. In the movie, uh, what was the movie with Jack White and him and This might Jimmy get Page? loud. This might get loud. Yes. Uh, yeah. He came across like such a gentleman. Oh, he was. Like so earnest, just yeah. like, well, you know, I just do this thing and um, it's great that people like it. 
you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's been at this for quite some time. I mean, this has been his entire career. He, he's been doing this since he was 20. So yeah. Or even younger than that. That's true. I think maybe 17, 16, 17. That's true. I mean, he's been playing since he was a teenager, but their yeah. first album was released in 1980. And oh, you're right. No, excuse me. Edge was 19. Okay. Yeah. But do you know the origin story of the of the band getting together? I do. Yeah, they all yeah. met. I'll, I'll say it just because I've, I've been reading all about it. Okay. Uh, it's Larry Mullins Jr. He was the drummer of U2. Mm-hmm. He put up a little ad at the school that they were going to. They were all going to a, um, in Ireland, I forget the name of the school, but it was a school that had both Protestant and Roman Catholic worshipers into the same school, which at that time was very revolutionary because... In Ireland, there's a giant divide between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland um, as far as, you know, which, which side of the cross you're going to be, <laughs> which side <laughs> of the cross you're going to be into. Her. And there has always been very, very deep Christian overtones with you too. Um, some say that album, I mean, some, I think everybody says that October is more <laughs> or less a Christian rock album, yes. which became a big problem for all of them. The original U2 had six people in it. Because mm-hmm. six people showed up until Larry, not Larry. I be, no, I believe it was, it, it was, I believe it was Larry's kitchen because he's the one who put up the advert. That's right. Yeah. They, so they came to his, to yeah. his kitchen and there were, I think, two sets of brothers actually. It was yeah. The Edge and his brother. Yes. Um, Dick, what's his last name? Evans. Dick Evans yes. and Dave Evans. Yes. Yes. The Edge is, uh, The Edge's real name is Dave Evans. Dave Evans. Yes. 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 And he, <laughs> did he decide, I, I watched a clip of a movie where they said, I'm, I'm going to call myself The Edge now. It wasn't his decision, was it? I think it was part of, you know, they were all friends mm-hmm. and they all started giving each other like different names. Yeah. Like Bono was originally Bono Vox, which yep. was na- the, named after a hearing aid store. And they started calling it. <sighs> and this was like the, the, eighth, the eighth name they had given him. They'd gone through oh, yeah. like a whole yeah, roster of names. I just wanted to extrapolate on that for a second. Bono Vox translates in Latin as good voice. Isn't that lame? <laughs> he was also given the name Bon Murray, Bono Vox of O'Connell Street, Hausman, Hoiserman, and of course, everyone's favorite, Steinheg Van Houston, Oleg Bang Bang Bang. And that's not a joke. For a spell, apparently, that was his nickname. Which was made famous by the Swedish chef when he was saying in Stang, Hang, Vang, House, Doom, Biddy, 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 Stop, and Bird, Mort, Mort, Mort. Okay, back to the show. And they, they have a friend who was dubbed uh, Googie and a friend who was dubbed Gavin Friday. It was just uh, their, own, their, own, <laughs> it was, it was their own little club. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, their little niche, their little soccer team. Yes. For non soccer players, <laughs> <laughs> for musicians. Football in yeah. Ireland. <laughs> yeah. So there was two other brothers and that show. Showed up. I think one of them tried out, and the other one just came to hang around. Uh, the brother that tried out was Ivan McCormick. He might have been lasted for a couple of practices, and that's it. Um, his brother was just hanging out at school, and um, in the aftermath of Ivan being kicked out of U two because you know U two would be really silly with that many people in it, um, he started his own band with his brother, kind of like their own oasis. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were trying to break it into the music business. And of course, the entire time they're looking over at U2 becoming the world's biggest band. And they obviously had many conflicting issues yeah. with their own like self-worth and and um, just from afar looking at U2 and just being like, oh, those guys, why are they so popular? Why don't I get to be in that band, etc. So. Anyways, that's how it started. Um, and then they started with their name, Feedback, mm-hmm. which apparently that's what they sounded like at the time. Wouldn't be surprised. Mm, sure, yeah. Um, and then from there, they turned into The Hype. Um, and they were still featuring both <coughs> both brothers, um, Dick and Dave. What's the last names again? Evans. 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 The, the yeah. Evans brothers. The Evans brothers. Um, and then at some point, I'm not sure exactly why, but Dick left the group. Um, and I imagine that changed their sounds quite a bit. <laughs> um, because that sort of cemented the way that they were going to play music together, which is really sort of unique. The Edge really never plays anything straightforward. Uh, it's always sort of left to the drummer and the bass player, which is Larry 
Which, how come nobody decided to change Larry's name? I mean, you've got all these cool names, and then there's Larry over there on the drums. Well, Adam kept his name as well, so yes. I guess they wanted to balance it out. Well, so we got two guys with... I mean, Adam's weird. pretty cool. Adam, Adam is so cool. Well, here's the story about Adam. The reason why Adam got to be in the band is because he knew all of the... He knew the lingo. That's right. He knew words like gig. Yeah, and fret. And fret. <laughs> he, that didn't mean that he knew how to play the bass. Yeah. And Larry was in because he put, he put up the advert. Of course. Um, well, he's Larry Mullen Jr. Maybe he didn't want to insult that, his family. That is a pretty cool name. It, it, it is. It is. <laughs> Any name with a junior attached to it is pretty rad. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, one of the things... You know, we talk about these rhythm sections, and we've been talking about this in previous podcasts, yeah. that one thing that can keep a band together is when the band splits the royalties evenly with everybody in the group. Mm-hmm. And you two seem to understand that right away. At least their manager did. Yes, Paul McGinnis That's definitely right. knew what he was doing. Now, he's no longer their manager, but no, no, no. no. no he, I think he retired a few years ago, so <sighs> it was actually split five ways. But no matter how you slice it, you're right about how this was the ideal blueprint for any successful band because how many long-running bands can you name that have all four original members still in it? Exactly. Hey, Bono, do you have any ideas? I do. I'll tell you some. Four-piece bands? All right, well, U2 does win. 42 years they've been together. But you got Coldplay, 22 years. You got... You got Muse, 24 years. That doesn't count. No one likes Muse. Ah, Kings of Leon, 19 years. That's not much. Wait, okay, Blur, 30 years. Ooh, Radiohead, 33. That's a a five-piece band. Let's see, who else? Oh, this says Golden Earring. Golden Earring still plays shows? Oh, Garbage. Garbage has the same guys and gal. And The Strokes? Mm, Five members. Yeah, yeah, yes. Three members. So from what I can tell, U2's in first place behind Blur. That's not bad. Carry on. It's pretty incredible. Uh, it's been 41 years. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you. Please. Is that too long? <laughs> <sighs> you know, no. So, H- however, no, but I... I, I um, I don't think it's too long if they embrace the fact that their strength now is as a vintage band. If they, yes. I, I, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't put out new music. Yes. However, um, I don't think they need to say with every single new album, we're, we're applying to be the greatest rock band in the land. Again, I don't think yes. that's necessary because at this point, they have peaked, and they have given us so much a incredible few, music. They've peaked a few, a few times, times. A few yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have given us so much incredible music that if they focus on that and give the audience that, then I don't have a problem with them continuing to tour every few years. Sure. But if they're still, and, and again, they want to still put out new music, Hey, we're going to listen. Of course. But the, the fans are going to listen. The fans are going to listen. But take, I, take, I personally did not really like their most recent album, um, Songs of Experience. It really okay. felt like um, just leftovers from the previous album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. That, so, if, if, they want, if they want to keep going, go for it. But embrace why people truly love them, which is... Um, which are their their albums from the eighties, the nineties, yes. and early aughts? Exactly. They should un- understand that they are pe- men of a certain age. Yes. And they have fans of a certain age. Yes. Um, you know, not exclusively, but even kids that are going to get into you too aren't going to pick up the new record and no. like and be introduced to that and be like, oh, this yeah, who is this up and coming new band? They're going to listen to Octoon Baby. Exactly. They're going to go to all the places that we all love you two for in the first place. Yes. You know. <laughs> so, of course, the biggest misstep in their career, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? The album before, Age of, Age of Experience? 
Yes. That age of experience. Um, songs of, uh, songs of uh, actually, Songs of Innocence. Songs of Innocence. Yes. Songs, uh, songs of Innocence released in 2014, and it was a, <laughs> air quotes, gift to everybody yes. on their iPhone. Whether you liked it or not. Correct. Here's some shepherd's pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as a U2 fan, I was happy to not have to purchase it. Of course. But on principle... That was a boneheaded move. You know, and they claim that they had no idea that it was just going to be automatically downloaded to people. To them, they thought, oh, people will have the option to download it for free. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, Because I thought that was going to be the same thing. Be like, oh, that's cool. If I want to download it, I can. But then all of a sudden, I've got my, my cheap iPhone with a very small amount of space in it and all yeah. of a sudden like I've got to like decide what I'm going to keep and it, it seemed like the album that just wouldn't go away. I kept deleting it and it keeps showing back up. I, re- I remember that and I remember that then you two put out like an apology video and Bono was like, um, oops. Yeah. And I was like, that's not cute. You know, it, it, I just... Yes. It left a really bad taste in my mouth and in a lot of people's mouths. Of course. Um, as, as a fan, I, I, was dis- I was disappointed. I was disappointed. Yes. And he's, uh, he has refused to officially apologize for it. Yeah. He's kind of like, no, I think it was a good thing. But of course it was. They made a lot of money. They, that week, got to be the most popular band in, in the charts because of this technicality that, like, you know, everybody, well, people downloaded it. And it's like, well... Some you didn't did. really give him a choice, did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. It was it it it, it wasn't yeah. a good look. It no, wasn't a good look on not them. Not at all. Yeah, especially also during this time when musicians are having is a really difficult time surviving. Yeah. Now that people are downloading their music for free, like this is still. I think Napster is still happening at this point. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, like in some capacity, people are still like getting their music illegally. Um, and bands are suffering for it. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the ones that are taking the brunt of, of, you know, this new development. And it's not even their fault. It's the, the record labels just didn't, didn't have the imagination to foresee where this technology was going. And so they didn't lock down the rights for their artists to keep getting the money. And, you know, like people are still suffering for that. Um, And then you too, of course, is going to get a paycheck no matter what. So, you know, they just kind of did. And it's like, well, we're getting paid and everybody gets, gets a free thing. And, and of course the, the platform that you two stands on is different than everybody else's. It's kind of hard. Like, you know, he clearly, when I say he, I mean Bono. Yes. <laughs> Clearly tries to put his feet into the shoes of the people. And you know that he tries to connect with people. But at, there's a certain point where like the king just isn't going to understand. No. And I think that that's the downside of their success and having been successful for so long. Because they can try to, like you said, put their feet in other people's shoes. And they can say, oh, we know where you're coming from. No, you don't. Yeah. You've been successful since your 20s. And... You don't know what it's like for other musicians. You it's just true. really don't. And so, as a so as a fan, that's where I can get critical of them. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you getting hungry? A little bit. Uh, th- this this food smells delicious. <laughs> okay. let's, let's dive in. Awesome. Right. Love it. Okay, so I've been presented this delicious-looking vegetarian shepherd's pie, and I am going to put hot sauce on it, which I am happy to put hot sauce. Is that the right amount? Yes, that's fine. Well, whatever works for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you. Nice. And what's interesting about this vegetarian shepherd's pie is that um, she has made it with the impossible burger meat. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm going to eat. Why don't you tell me about your recipe? Certainly. So as we, I, as we turn into an NPR, <laughs> tell me about how you cook this. I will. Yes. <laughs> Good times. Oh. Um, so this recipe actually is from the Outlander Kitchen Cookbook. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, TV show Outlander, or maybe some of your listeners are. I'm not. I'm not, right. not much of a cookbook owner. I've well, been doing uh, online these days. 
I totally get that. Well, I I have this cookbook because uh, I'm a huge fan of the TV show Outlander. It's on stars. It's based on a a series of books about a World War II nurse who goes back in time and falls in love with a dashing 18th century Scottish warrior. So Mm -hmm. it's become such a phenomenon that now people are creating cookbooks out of the book series. So Teresa Carl Sanders uh, is the chef who wrote this cookbook and provided me with this lovely shepherd's pie recipe and I simply substituted impossible meat for lamb. Mm. So what do you think? Mm. My favorite part is there's mushrooms in this. Yes. Yes, there are. I really, really like mushrooms. Me too. Um, Especially when you're trying to like replace the meatiness of a of a shepherd's pie, mm-hmm. like I don't I don't think I've ever put mushrooms in, and it's it's such a great touch. Um, when I've done my vegetarian shepherd's pie, which yes. I wouldn't always do, I I go through these phases where I'm like I gotta stop eating this meat, and this seems like a really good hearty dish. Yeah, and um, I would I would use lentils. Okay. Like red lentils yeah. seems to be a pretty good. I mean, you don't get the meatiness of the impossible burger meat. And, and if you guys, if you've never tried the impossible burger meat, you got to. It's so, so I mean, is it healthy? No, it's not <laughs> healthy. Is it healthier than hamburger meat? Eh, no, not really. <laughs> it's not. Um, because it's processed. Yeah. Processed food is just, it's bad news. Exactly. But you are certainly leaving a, a, a less carbon footprint on the world you know so eating less meat is a good thing and i'm sure bono would agree he would yes our uh our uh humanita- humanitarian i assume that you went to the zoo tv tour i was a little too young my oh. parents wouldn't take me my uh so i've so i'm very well acquainted with the zoo tv tour through um vhs and dvd my first uh u2 concert was actually uh the pop mart uh, show oh, okay. in 1997. It was in Chicago. I went mm-hmm. to visit a friend, and having seen you two afterward, I mean, at the time, it was the most mind blowing experience of my life. And of course, in retrospect, I'm just like, eh. you yeah, know, because pop was not a strong album. There are some songs that I've grown to love since then. Sure, they kind of they kind of rushed that album just so they could get going with the touring. Exactly, and the tour the tour the tour was obnoxious because yeah. they were. The trouble was is that Zoo TV was such a spectacle, so of course they wanted to outdo themselves, yeah. and they did it to a point that it was just it it looked it, in retrospect it looked ridiculous. Yeah. So um, you two released uh, all that you can't leave behind in two thousand. It really was a return to form for them. It was more stripped down, and the tour the corresponding tour didn't have all of the bells and whistles of their of their previous tours. Yeah. And as a result, I I saw two shows from that tour and to this day those are my two favorite shows um because well (laughs) the first one was in june 2001 which is kind of a funny story that goes with it um i was actually supposed to go with um an ex-boyfriend we bought the tickets when we were together and then we broke up and so what happened was is i was on my way to madison square garden and i was like how am i going to do this this is my favorite band in the world. I want to enjoy myself. I don't want to do it next to this guy. <laughs> and I, I always like to preface the story by saying this was pre-9-11. You know, you can never do something like this now. Um, I had my ticket, and there was a big crowd at one entrance. And for whatever reason, I just followed these two, uh, two people who had, I mean, the, my seats were somewhere up in like the nosebleeds, but I saw these two people who said that they had floor seats and I just followed them. Huh. And we were... That's excellent. And I, I got onto the floor. Wow. It was amazing. And I have no regrets. So um, that tour, uh, the way it was, the stage was set up was there was a heart um, mm. In the middle, in uh, in the middle of the floor. So I was on the outside tip of the heart. Oh wow! So it was actually a fantastic um, spot to be in because eventually the band came right there. So sure. I got to touch like Bono's shoulder, <laughs> and Adam smiled at me. You know, I had like, those mem- those mentions, <laughs> but that was the first time I met real U two fans. And um, what's that breed like? They kind of scared me. Yeah. 
Well, first, um, it started with someone told me when I mentioned that this was only my second U2 uh, show, uh, someone told me that I wasn't a real fan. Oh. And I started meeting people who um, were literally touring with the band. They had quit their jobs, saved vacation days. They were literally going around the country and in some cases going to Europe wow. to go to every single show. Which this is not... These aren't cheap tickets. No, they're not. And I know that I'm sure U2 is not the only band that people like, you know, that, that you know, fans do this for. Sure. But Grateful Dead, anybody? Yeah, exactly. So for me... But I can't imagine U2 fans selling acid out in the parking lot. No, yeah. no. Um, some people, um, they paid their way by photographing the band and selling their photos. There's lots, hmm. lo it, was, it was different for everybody. But for me, I, I didn't get it because I find U2 concerts to be pretty magical moments. And if you're going to see every single show, the magic disappears pretty quickly sure. because there's only so much you can do to change up the show. Yeah, I can't imagine that they have like a real lucid like set list every night where they just say, what should we do next? Right. How about, yeah. Exactly, because they, they, they have to please the fans. They have yep. to play where the streets have no name. They mm -hmm. have to play with or without you. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, opening the curtain to reveal the wizard to say, you know, they, used, they use iPad teleprompters now. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they, they have to. Sure. Um, they're not the only band to do that. Yeah. So that kind of weirded me out. But then the show started and it was incredible. Yeah. So I didn't really think so about cares? it because it was great. You're not there and to look at those people. I was not there to look at those people. <laughs> the show was incredible. I had no regrets about leaving my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend behind mm -hmm. and, you know, moved on. Then the second show I saw was when they came back after 9-11. And that's okay. me going back to you two helping me to heal after 9-11. I was living in Manhattan at the time. And um, yes, it's weird to, ha to have an Irish band make you feel better about your country. But because you 2 loves this country so much, it was the bomb that we needed. Um, Bono says this a lot. He says, America's not just a country, it's an idea. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, I, especially now, it's... It's very idealized, and I'm not so sure I would go around promoting something like that um, because that's extremely simplified. Sure. But you know, it was almost like they're fans of this country, so they wanted to help us heal. And the night I was there, at the end of the show, um, they brought on uh, several members of the uh, the NYPD, and they all sang "Out of Control," and it was just a it was just a really beautiful moment. So. 2001 was a huge year for me, um, U2-wise, because of the two concerts and 9-11. And then later that year, in uh, late November 2001, I went to my first U2 tribute band show, Unforgettable Fire. Yes. And a year later, it was there that I met my husband. Really? Who is, uh, who was, uh, he does, we're still very close to them, uh, but he doesn't really work for them anymore. Uh, he was their main roadie tech guy. And the first performance of Unforgettable Fire that I saw, it was November 2001, um, he played guitar with them. He played Wild Honey. Oh, wow. From All That You Can't Leave Behind. It all comes around, so, full circle. It sure does. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> so you two has done so much good for the world. And, they have. And for you personally. They have. They have. <laughs> they, I, I now have, I have an incredible family, thanks to you two. Um, it brought me and my husband together. And so going from uh, the, the, the intense fandom, going to see Unforgettable Fire a lot, because I was dating my husband, we were getting to know each other. It was great, but eventually it opened my world up to different things, different kinds of music, different bands. And I realized I didn't need U2 as much anymore. They were like the gateway. You know, I learned a lot more about punk rock through, through U2. Nice. So, um, so that's when I started to get a little uncomfortable with the hardcore U2 fans because it, it, it would be all that they wanted to talk about. Sure. and. You know, the reason why my, hu my husband and I have a strong relationship is because we don't only talk about you two. Yeah. And any time we would hang out with 
these hardcore YouTube fans, that would be all they would want to talk about. And there's only there's only so much there's bandwidth. So much you can talk. There's yeah, a lot exactly. to talk about with YouTube. There is. But there is. At a certain point, it's like, okay, now what? Now, can we yeah. can we move on to something else? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So uh, sorry to circle back, but can you tell me exactly how you made this? I'd be happy to. Yes. So the first thing that this you, shepherd's pie I'm yes. pointing to. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, so the first thing uh, is well. Boil some potatoes. <laughs> of course, <laughs> gotta boil up the potatoes because uh, that that take that takes. Um, and I recommend uh, yellow potatoes, Yukon Gold. Okay. And then uh, you saute um, about two pounds of impossible meat uh, with some fresh rosemary and some fresh thyme, a little nice. bit of salt and pepper. And then uh, you add to the saute pan some uh, uh, grated uh, onion. Mm-hmm. and carrot and garlic and uh, some sliced up mushrooms. Any mushrooms will do. Yum. And you saute that all together with a little bit of um, tomato paste, a little bit of red wine, if you so choose. Completely up to Definitely. you. Definitely. <laughs> I, I say you must. <laughs> um, any, whatever, whatever kind of stock you want to use. Um, this is, I mean, this is uh, made with impossible meat, but I did use some chicken stock. Okay. Um, but you can use beef stock, chicken stock, uh, veggie, vegetable, stock. veggie stock. If we're going to go that way. we're yeah. going to go that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, a little bit of Worcestershire sauce. Yes, that yes. is key. I love some Worcestershire sauce. I'm not sauce. even going to say a little. I'm going to say put a whole bunch in there. <laughs> For me, anyways. For you. Yes. Um, so you saute that all up, and then you put it in um, a, a baking pan. And once the potatoes are, uh, are boiled, you mash them up with uh, some butter, any kind of butter you want. I, mm-hmm. I like to use plant butter, some egg yolks, and mm-hmm. some Parmesan cheese. Ooh. And then you uh, scoop, it on, scoop the potatoes on top of the uh, impossible meat mis- mixture in the, in the baking pan. Uh, grate a little more Parmesan cheese on top. Bake it in the oven at 425 degrees for about half an hour. Mm-hmm. And there you have shepherd's pie. Again, credit to Teresa Carl Sanders of the Outlander Kitchen Cookbook. Excellent. Now, for me, whenever I make a recipe, I usually look at no less than three recipes. <laughs> I try to like I try to scour all of them to find like what the common links are, as well as like what else can I put in this thing. <laughs> I, I find frequently with shepherd's pie, instead of using tomato paste they'll they'll say to use ketchup yeah ketchup now this is like a thing that that only in america would they do this you know but for me it's a fight to not use the ketchup it does have a flavor it's like sweet and i think it's like bringing this umami thing that we're that you know that that the worcestershire would otherwise bring Mm -hmm. which by the way if we're going to go vegetarian you can't use worcestershire I know. Yeah, it's got fish sauce correct. anchovy in there. That is correct. So. Uh, I, le- I actually learned that. I have an aunt who wrote her own cookbook, and it's kosher, and all of the recipes say fish-free free Worcestershire sauce. Yes. And, and that's out there. And that's out there, but, but I'm not kosher, so I just make Fair regular. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. This is not a uh, purely vegetarian uh, sure. recipe, so if you are... Pure vegetarian, but you U2, will have U2, to. And you two isn't a purely Christian band. No, they are not. So, so there, so absolutely, there you go. And this is the second recipe that I've tried. I uh, I have a uh, a cookbook that is literally for pies and tarts, and it had a different uh, shepherd's pie recipe in there, and it was good. It was good, but then I stumbled upon uh, this recipe yeah. from the Outlander cookbook, and uh, I tried it. But about your ketchup, I can give you a tip. Try Sir Kensington's brand ketchup. It's yes. not as sweet as like Heinz. Yes. That's what we cook with. I just stumbled on that. Somebody had, good stuff. had bought me, like brought that to the barbecue and mm-hmm. like left it at our house. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. That, yeah. That's the way to go. Yes. So that's my recommendation if, if ketchup is all you have, but I'm with you. Yeah. I, 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 I would avoid ketchup at yes. all costs. I mean, yes. we keep it for my daughter, of course. Of course, <laughs> yes, to get to get them to eat the broccoli or whatever it is. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes exactly. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old. Sometimes we have to play these same games to get them to eat their vegetables. Uh, but, yes, um, yes, indeed. But I yeah, know this, that is, this is an excellent shepherd's pie. Thank you so much for having me over to eat this. My pleasure. Yes, it's my it, pleasure. 
So I'm going to do a little segue into the next band that we're going to do. Um, and it actually is going to be tied to you, too. I recently discovered, and I meant to look, at it, look it up a little bit more, but Robbie Robertson from the band. You know the band? I do. Do you know the album I'm talking about? I'm afraid the I do. The first Robbie Robertson album, the backing band, is uh, Larry and Adam from U2. Really? I think that... I'm not 100% sure. I know that they do like the album. And... Then track two clearly has Bono doing his Bono thing over the whole thing, and the guitar is clearly the edge. So, and I and I listened to it the whole thing, and I'm like, this is basically a U2 record with like worse lyrics, because <laughs> uh, Robbie may or may not have written the lyrics of his own of his own <laughs> songs that he claims to have written. And I think so. Next week, I've been dying to get into the band. And talk about what's going on with them because I just finally got to see the Robbie Robertson documentary. And uh, speaking of another thing that I have issues with, I've always been on Team Levon, who is the drummer, and there has been a lifelong rift between Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson as to who actually wrote those songs. Robbie is getting paid for them. So we are talking about some yin and yang. And I think I have the dish that we're going to do. So, Tune in next week. We're going to be doing the band. I want to say thank you one more time to Serene for coming on to our show and cooking this beautiful, beautiful vegetarian shepherd's pie. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank thanks for you. being the guest. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Very good, then. Thank you, Serene, for coming on the show, talking about you two with me. And thanks for sharing all those personal experiences really enjoyed the conversation and i really enjoyed that shepherd's pie i hope you all enjoyed the conversation as well and if you did i have a small favor to ask you can support us by heading over to apple Podcasts and rating the show and if you're so inclined writing a review this is going to help bump us in the ratings and set us apart from all the rest of the podcast did you know i did some research i found out that there are currently over 40 gazillion podcasts so if the cream's going to rise to the top or whatever this is it will do so at the will of the listeners to make it easy, I put a link in the description. Go over and check that out. Make sure to check out the website, www.thisbandcouldbeyourfood.com for all your recipes, episode updates, and some records and CDs for sale. I've had a direct hand in most of the music that's been on this podcast so far, so if you dig it, pick up a disc, pick up a record. Next week, I'll be hanging out with my buddy Nate Hall again. You might remember him from the ZZ Top episode. We're going to get into it about the band. We'll be picking apart one of rock and roll's biggest feuds, one corner you got Levon Helm, the other corner you got Robbie Robertson. Now, Robbie Robertson just put out a documentary to tell his side of the story, and you can tune in to find out if I'm buying it or not. Until then, I'm your captain, Nathan Palin, with This Band Could Be Your Food. Cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.